Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. We are live today. We're live on Facebook right now. And our music just now was live, which blows my mind because I never hear it when we actually record. Um, so it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, it was a very pleasant surprise. It just uh, it made it feel even more live. It's like a, a, enough of a novelty that we're doing a live episode and then we extra, also play music. Extra live. Yeah, extra, extra live. Maybe next time we can get like a live band to perform the song as, you know, if we want to go triple live. Just a thought. <laughs> you want to coordinate that? I'll reach triple out. Triple <laughs> live. I don't even know if that's possible, but sure, I'm down. Um, It'll be like Tiny Desk. It'll be a Tiny Desk concert, but only of our intro music and only for the first 20 seconds. Can we get some more funding first? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll get back to you on that for now. Okay. Just just okay. see who you it's can cool. get. I just, I just figured I would ask. It could um, be an acapella version. Are you going to sing it? Sure. Great. You were going to ask me something? Uh, no, I was going to say we have two callers on the line right now, Jasmine A. and Travis. Nice. Let's welcome them in. Welcome in. Travis, are you there? I am. Wonderful to hear your voice. Welcome to our live show. Hey. Jasmine, Jasmine, you're here too? Hi. How you Long doing? time no see. I'm good. What, can you guys see me? We can Can't hear you. see you, but we can hear you. Okay. Oh, Dex, yeah. it's audio. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I have to ask Travis, Jasmine, I don't think you've ever met before, have you? Travis? No, I don't think so. Nope, I don't think so. Well, welcome. This is why this show is exciting, because we have like a network of contributors and friends, and every once in a while we get to introduce them. Travis, this is Jasmine. Jasmine, this is Travis. Jasmine worked at uh, Youth Outlook many moons ago uh, with Eming and... What? <laughs> oh, why do I always? I'm sorry, Jasmine. I don't know. I'm sorry, That's why Jasmine I had to correct you. I'm sorry, Jasmine. Well, I call her Jasmine A, but <laughs> just saying, just trying to help. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a flubbed introduction. Um, yes, and uh, and <laughs> Jasmine A. Travis is an old friend of mine. He's in New York. Um, we've known each other for a long time. He usually comes on our show when it's time to talk politics, um, but he's also a poet and an attorney and an all around wonderful person. So uh, I'm glad I got a chance to introduce both of you and welcome both of you to the live show. How's it? How are things going? Same. Same. Great. Good answer. That's what everybody says now. Because nothing ever, cause nothing ever nothing changed. Has changed. Nothing Dealing has changed. Dealing with the ongoing trauma of a pandemic and racial unrest. Otherwise, fine. Uh, other than that, everything's all good. Okay, good. How about, positive, Travis. How, how about you, Jasmine? Are you going to hit me with a optimist answer where life is beautiful and love is in the air? You don't have to. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they say it's Valentine's Day today. So I heard that. That... That's a thing, but I'm doing good. Um, you know, I'm burnt out, so mm-hmm. I, I just have not been following um, headlines. So that's how I've been staying positive and optimistic. And life has been beautiful. <laughs> that is a very good self-preservation technique. Just ignoring just, the world. Yeah, I can just totally hear to that. Tune out from the madness. Uh, yeah, I think I learned that lesson maybe four years ago or so when when this administration started, where I was like, wait a minute, if I don't expose myself to the craziness, I don't have to go crazy. But it is a thin it's a thin line between like just kind of trying to protect yourself and then fully checking out of life and not knowing what's going on in the world. Well, it's uh, almost like gaslighting yourself. Oh, please tell me more. 
like following the news during the last four years is really just like consuming misinformation, knowing it's misinformation, and then trying to argue with people to make a difference. It's just gaslighting yourself. Oh my God. I like this phenomenon. I'm, I'm glad that I managed to kind of steer clear. Although I did feel behind in many conversations because I would only find out what happened that day. Like at the end of the day, people would say, Oh my God, did you see this even happen? You know, Capitol riot. And I went to the dog park and everybody there was like, Oh my God, Capitol riot. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Did you get that text? Cause I got the text and I was like, you know, I'm going to turn on the news and I couldn't look away. Oh, See, that's why you have to really steer clear because once you're in, you really get hooked. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no way to kind of shake yourself out of it. Um, which, you know what? I'm glad we started with this. And then first of all, good tip, Jasmine, eh? protect yourself. And Travis, I like this designation of gaslighting. Protect yourself from gaslighting by tuning out. Although I did think, you know, we do have a new president now from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, you know, we're still going to have all the same problems in the world. And we're still going to have the same, you know, pressing social issues and crises and COVID isn't going away. And, you know, like we, there's, still lots and lots of things to be worried about. But I did think, well, the tenor of it will change a little bit because it's not like a kind of a madman at the helm. Like, and every time he does something, we have to shift our attention. Although the exception is this, and this is the first thing I wanted to talk about was the impeachment trial. Uh, Cause we got to get it out of the way. It's just like, we got to talk about it. So we don't have to talk about it anymore. But I kind of felt um, like the impeachment trial was like, man, we're really like, this is kind of the, um, you know, like the fourth act. It's like we you thought you were done, but now we have to like revisit everything and we still have to be talking about the person who used to be president every day, even though he's not the president anymore. Not that, you know, there weren't like very important constitutional issues at stake or I'm not saying it was a bad mistake, bad decision politically or whatever. I just mean, like, I thought we were done. And now here we are kind of revisiting all of this again. Like the end uh, of the horror movie and they didn't shoot the monster in the head. He always comes back, you know, yeah. he gets like he gets stabbed in the leg and they're like, all right, well, we're and done with him. Know. Yeah, that orange hand forth. dug right out of the ground, right out of the yeah. grave. <laughs> uh, so, Travis, tell me your experience uh, with the second impeachment. Did you watch everything, consume everything, mm-hmm. you know watch every second? You know that I'm you know, I did. I thought maybe you were doing a Jasmine thing now. Where no, you're like, hey, I'm going to protect no. myself. OK. No, uh, nosy. I I wish I had that self, that restraint and that sense of self preservation, but I like pain, so I just watch uh, the whole thing. Right, so it's like a masochistic thing. I think a lot of us are experiencing. You know how that. poets are. We like that's true. We like to know. We like to know, and we like to hurt. <laughs> so uh, I have I to ask, as our political commentator and as an attorney, which I always love your legal insight, uh, what what stood out for you as you saw? either of these presentations you know i went into this like one of the people who's like what's the point like they're never going to convict i don't and we just had one of these one of these (laughs) why do we need to do like why 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 do we even need to sort of like i didn't get the not that i didn't think he should be impeached and not that i didn't think that he should be convicted i just knew that that wasn't going to happen so i really sort of like didn't get the point And that changed for me when they were like laying out their case, when they were like really showing the videos and contextualizing um, the experience from inside. I mean, like everything that sort of led up to it. And for me, the point wasn't necessarily about Trump 
whether or not he's convicted, whether or not he's allowed to run for office again, which were all things that were like federal office again, which were all sort of like on the table. It was really, um, how can I put this? I feel like America is always in this place of like, this isn't who we are. This isn't what we're choosing. We're not racist. We're not like all these things. And so for me, it was like, this last year has been confronting, yes, we are this racist country. Yes, this is this is who we are. This is what people are choosing. They're not choosing Trump despite this racist rhetoric. They're choosing because. And like, how far will that line of thinking go to protect? Like, I feel like a lot of people are being introduced to their country for the first time. And for me, a lot of, it was worth it to sort of like clarify once again exactly who we are and exactly who's running our country and exactly what they will let slide um, to preserve power. Um, and it was more a lesson of like, there, there, you can't appeal, you can't make a moral appeal to people with no morals. And, we, and I think progressives are in this mindset that like, if we just show people how harmful those policies are, they'll change. If we show them how harmful homophobia is, if we show them how harmful racism is, if we show them how harmful xenophobia is, they'll change. And it's like, nope, the harm is the point. Um, So I think a lot of progressives need to like understand that we were, you know, a few thousand votes away from fascism. And if you want to even be have the conversation of progressives, you have to be vigilant. And I think it was just sort of worth it for that for me. That's fair. I think you make a lot of good points. I think a lot of people were asking the question about like, they know they don't have the votes. Why are they going through this? Is it just political theater? Um, And I think the point that you make is great, which is like, no, we need to look at it, at least air it out. You know what I mean? You can't just say he's gone now. Let's move on. I also thought, no, you know, there's, like, I mean, if anything is clear, they, the Republican Party has like doubled down that like Donald Trump is their guy. So yeah. like it's like, don't think that like not even 2024, like 2022, that they're not going to like try to take back Congress. Yeah. Well, my thought also is that there's still like, regardless of whether you're sure you're going to get a conviction or whether the indictment, you know, it's like uh, it's it's accountability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you incite a riot as a president and don't get, you know, that now there's like a precedent. It was like, well, he did it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like now it would have just become a political norm if there were not some kind of uh, consequences, not that there are specific consequences, but I think a second impeachment is significant, at least for the reasons of precedent. Um, I can say something that I did realize. Um, I've not thought of Joe Biden in, in like weeks. Do you know how refreshing <laughs> it is to like not think about your pre- like said what's that guy doing like yeah. I don't even know somewhere presiding I guess I don't know yeah. and it feels so wonderful to sort of like not think about your president every day yeah Eming did you want did you want to say something yeah we have a third caller hold on oh nice nice ah. This is very exciting, folks. Not only do we have a third caller, it's this is Shirley. our busiest live show we've ever Shirley Avney <laughs> calling from Mexico City. It's now officially a global podcast. Shirley, welcome. Can you hear me? I sure can. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, you'll never guess what we're talking about. It's the second impeachment trial. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, we won, we won, we won. <laughs> All right. Well, Travis gave us an intro. I was just about to go to Jasmine. Everybody, this is Shirley. Shirley is a great dear friend. Uh, we've known for many, many years. She's based in Mexico City now, but she worked as a journalist for a long time. She was in New York City. Uh, now she's in Mexico City, uh, working with uh, migrants, deportees. Uh, wonderful, wonderful person. Travis, you know, I think Jasmine, just all the worlds are colliding, but welcome to all three of you. Uh, before we go to you, Shirley, I did want to give Jasmine a chance. You you said you've done a good job protecting yourself from the madness. Were you able to do that through this uh, second impeachment trial? Like, how did you limit your exposure or did you limit your exposure, Jasmine? Well, after January 6th, I was really literally glued to for some reason, I don't know if it's the nostalgia, the day of, I trusted ABC because that I just felt like they were the news source that I could watch and just take it in. But I, it just reminded me of September 11th. And so I was, I think that what Travis said about gaslighting is really important because I do think that there are like psychological impacts and when we like normalize what we've experienced as a country, it, and, you know, just go back to business as usual the next day. And we have been through so much in such a short span of time. Um, so I have been really like, I think, keeping up with the news. And even up until they stayed up until 3 a.m. that night on the 6th. So up until the next morning, I was watching the news. I watched when they voted in. I see this is when I'm not super political, but in the House when they did pass the impeachment. But now that they've moved into this second phase, now that we already have Biden, that's when I tuned out because I do kind of want to just take a breath and not be so, I mean, just anxious about what Trump's going to do. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I, I admire the self-protection efforts. It's hard, especially because we have reminders, as you're saying, like if you are not consuming the news live, someone sending you a text message about it, it's impossible to escape, uh, a, a traumatic news cycle. I am very interested in your comparison to September 11th. What talk to me about those two different experiences, like in your life and why are they connected in your mind? Well, so I, re well, just in terms of that, I think for the first time seeing, a politically charged, and not that September 11th was politically charged initially, we didn't view it as, you know, something we didn't know who or what or why, we just saw what was happening. But just on a massive scale, seeing that much social unrest come like to a head, I guess, in um, the Capitol building, but, you know, on the East Coast, just with all yeah. eyes on America, um, and I didn't get it when I was younger, you know, being woken up and like everybody watching the TV all day and kind of that being on everyone's like conscious, even if they were discussing it or not. So that was my first time in my adult age really having that. I mean, aside from, I would say, Hurricane Katrina, but that had my attention. And, and there, there have definitely been other moments that I've, I've, you know, had my full attention. But the way that I felt in terms of my first identity that I was paying attention to was hmm, as an American, um, definitely aware that I'm a black American, but as an American, this is a very, uh, this is a very serious moment that has strong implications. So I just felt super concerned. And I think September 11th was the other time that I felt that much concern for like politics. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two hugely traumatic events that question the present and future of our country. I, absolutely. I just I hadn't heard anybody make that comparison before. I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, Shirley, I'm so glad that you're here. We haven't spoken in so long. So I'd like, I feel like we should just hang out and talk for a while, but, uh, mm-hmm. I am eager to hear your thoughts, uh, at least, you know, from the perspective of where you are in Mexico city, or just, uh, as an American abroad, uh, of the second impeachment trial. Uh, I was, I'm lucky because I don't have access to TV, so I can check in on Twitter and see what's happening. Uh, is that lucky? Is that really, is that better to like, is Twitter really better? So yeah, it's so much better because at least I'm not getting that idiotic shit show of three networks in which we're expected to believe that MSNBC represents the left. Do you know what I mean? Like it just ends up happening. You're like, well, let's see what Fox says. Oh, they're crazy. Let's see what CNN says. Oh, they're lying. Let's see what MSNBC. I'm more likely to find what maybe they kind of agree with. Oh, wait, you know what? I think I'll go to PBS. Oh, wait, they're still saying we should do have a coup. We should do. We should do a coup in Venezuela. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, it just, it stabs needles, eyes, the whole thing. Twitter, at least you can look at that and then be like, oh, like a lawyer who thinks he's a cat. You know, or the other way around. Yes, that's refreshing. Um, but also it's I mean, if there's one glorious thing about living in a country in which all that is fucked up and corrupt about the government is very, very much in your face in a way that can't be avoided is that I mean, I think you guys already know that, like uh, when I think I made this joke last time when we talked about September, but well, not September 11th, the other disaster, Trump winning is that really <laughs> my husband, my then boyfriend, now husband. I got down on my knees and begged him to marry me because I wanted him to be able to get a citizenship, a green card for the U.S. as quickly as possible if Trump was going to be in office. And he said, are you fucking crazy? Like there was no he had he had never had any interest in living in the U.S. And he certainly wasn't going to start now. And he's like, but if you want to marry me for like my yellow card, then let's do it. And so and, 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 you know, and I'm married to him and I'm going to get my yellow card if, it, if the pandemic ever ends. But I mean, the thing about living here is that the memes that I was getting and by the way, they call them memes in Spanish, which I just love more than anything else. I like to just see the meme. Um, they're like professional level knowing how to have fun with stupid shit. So I was getting the most hysterical memes throughout the entire Throughout the invasion of the Capitol, throughout the impeachment trials, through every dumbass thing that another person said. And every time I would try to get like emotional or upset, the Mexican friends would be like, oh, look at that. Look at who we do show we see sad because the government is co-op. <laughs> you know, and then and then the worst is that as for as I said, work in migration. So, you know, I also had like Honduran friends, Guatemalan friends that I was like, isn't this terrible? And they were like, yeah, sorry, I'm on a boat drowning right now. Can I call you later? And so, you know, the I mean, watching it from afar, there was I can't remember who, but some guy, some guy who has a YouTube show who's a southerner. Uh, ex That doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, no. That's like all of YouTube. Yeah. Wait, did, did he have a Confederate flag hat on? No, he did oh. not. He, but he does have great insights. You would actually love this guy. But I just, he was saying, he was talking about what they were doing when they were made the capital. He said, if there's no consequences, it's practice. Practice. Yeah. That's it. Like everything that just happened, everyone, I'm sure everyone who's paying attention knows 
that it's not over. It's going to keep on happening. This was practice. They wanted to see if they could get away with it. Apparently, if you are a white invader of the Congress, you can please someone tell me this part isn't true. Get vegan food prepared for you in jail. Yeah, no, that's true. That's but true. Okay. That like, but that January 6th didn't come out of nowhere. The practicing was happening for years. Like when I was on another show talking about like it, when when they invaded, when they occupied a, a federal park for like two months and there yeah. were arrests. Absolutely. And well, you could they, see the practicing has been going on since the birth of the nation. And then certainly since um, Reconstruction was derailed by white supremacist activists in the 1870s. This is just a chapter in a war that people like some people who can afford to and have the privilege to can pretend is over. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just but I do see people even the the investment that people had with the MP, second impeachment was like, now we can go back to normal. Most of the people that Russell features on that Russell and the rest of the crew here feature are not people who take seriously the idea that there ever was a normal for any but a very small few. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is no return to normal because there wasn't a normal or if there was a normal, it was awful and it continues to be. Yeah. Um, I like that. When yeah. can we go back to awful? Yeah. Or at least like the normal awful, maybe. Normal it's like, awful. Yeah. Normal is that awful. <laughs> That's like the regular racist awful, not the totally fascist awful. I think we found the title for this episode. Yeah. The, the <laughs> return to normal awful. Well, I mean, that's kind of, that. it informs a question I wanted the to ask. old which awful, is like, not the new awful. If we, yeah, make America awful again. Just normal <laughs> awful. <though>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also have to start making some hats uh i i am not with our money <laughs> well you know it'll come out of my own pocket it's gonna make money Every, everyone's gonna want one of those yeah. Merch. uh yeah i mean that kind of informs the question i wanted to ask tonight which was like okay now like you said what are how refreshing not to have to think about who the president is like i have no idea what biden did last week or the week before really you know what i mean like <laughs> i my my life is not informed by the impulses and instincts of our president. And I could just like go about my life without thinking about what the president may or may not be doing. That's not praise for Biden. It's just like, let's go back to normal awful. Like back in the day when we had a president and we like kind of didn't care or think about it for a minute. And then we did. Uh, is that bad too? Do you know what I mean? Like, is, is this kind of what Shirley is hinting at? And I, I, I want to start with you, Travis, like, Okay. Yes. Second impeachment is over, right? Like Trump isn't on Twitter. We have like a, just a very like old fashioned kind of like corrupt centrist uh, for a president. You know, is this, is it um, dangerous for me to say like, Oh, this is nice. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let me, let me settle I mean, into this. So, like, I, because I think that there's a way in which um, like I'm prepared to fight Biden. I know what that looks like. I know what advocacy in a Biden world will look like. In Trump world, it was like I had no fucking clue where to like locate myself because it would literally be like the president would like wake up in the morning and decide today I'm going to fuck with trans people and I'm going to tweet they can't be in the military anymore. And it's like, wait, what? Like you just never sort of knew what the fuck he was doing. And it was incessant and it was every day and it was awful. And and you sort of like never knew where to even locate yourself because it just when you thought like it can't get worse than this, 
he was like, oh, but wait, I can <laughs> um, I can get worse and follow like no rules at all. Because he, like, he's like, I don't give a fuck about protocol. I don't give a fuck about the constitution. I don't, I don't even care about my own, own party. Um, it's just sort of like this money grab and fuck all of you. And so whatever. With Biden, I'm like, I get this guy. I get this sort of like centrist, racist, old white millionaire. I, like I get this fight. This fight, I, and yeah, I, know, like, I know this guy. It's sort of like when you have like um, not a great parent, but one that's going to keep the lights on. Like you sort of like know what to do with this guy. With Trump, I was like, is America going to have lights tomorrow? Like, I don't know. Um, so I, I, I get like why you would feel a little bit of relief because it was, we were really in a world that was like awful beyond anything that I had seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Although I guess the question is like, if when we do have our kind of like run of the mill, like old kind of millionaire racist leaders, like uh, Nazis were super comfortable under Trump. They were like really comfortable. (laughs) But I mean, what I mean by like a lull or like a false sense of security, like the other, the other side of that is we were really forced to confront a lot of things in the last four years. This is kind of what you were hinting at earlier, Travis, that like, maybe we didn't really talk about or we weren't confronted by because we had presidents who were kind of trained in rhetoric about how to navigate racial strife, for instance. And like, you know, like a terrible president could get up there and say something kind of nice and meaningless about like how America is a diverse place and we need to accept each other and support these communities and acknowledge the, you know, history and strife and struggle of African-American people, like kind of a lip service thing. You know what I mean? Which Trump refused to do. And that's part of the reason we were also upset. Uh, many people were, which is like, hey, you know, the president, no matter who you are, even if you're like an actual monster, you know, well, like, it wasn't like just that I would like not his like not lip service. Like, that's totally fine. It was that I also think that he thought, like, if someone disagreed with me, I could just put them in jail or I could just, you know, like it wasn't just it's like there was it wasn't just like his um I think the people who follow him think of him as like, he just says what's on his mind and he's a straight shooter. It's like, oh no, he actually thinks that like there are certain groups of people that don't matter and he can just do whatever he wants to them. Um, That's, and like do it in a tweet. That's like terrifying to me. Yeah. That's terror. But what I'm saying is like, is that kind of like constant reminder of this, the like nefarious aims of like an oppressive structure. Like you see it, you know, he's out. You know what I mean? It's like when you see one cockroach, you know that there's like a hundred other ones. You know what I mean? So like it's kind of comforting a little bit to be like, all right, I see all the roaches. I, I know that they're there. Uh, whereas like usually you're kind of like lulled into a sense of security. It's like, ah, I don't have that many cockroaches. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe like this was somehow like a necessary purging or like yeah. a, vis- a visible evil in some way, I, I guess is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't I'm already feeling like, oh, second impeachment's over. Biden's who can't whatever, man. Like we got to like we'll be fine. You know, like that's a ridiculous thing to think. That's kind of not what I want to think. But does that mean that I need to have like an actively tyrannical president in order for me to think critically all the time about what we need to work on in this country? I hope not. I hope not. That was a rhetorical question. (laughs) Um, I don't want, I mean, we spent the first half hour talking about the impeachment. I wanted to just like, I'm not like putting it to bed, but I didn't want to like you guys to think, oh, we walked into yet another kind of like Trump impeachment conversation. It's college. It's live. We can talk about, we can talk about whatever we want. Just Uh, fucking Whedon. Sorry. Joss Whedon. You want to talk about Joss Whedon? Whedon. Yes. All right. 
Okay, well, now we've got our new topic. Shirley, I'll let you frame it. Travis no. is in. Jasmine, I'm I hope in. you're as I hope you're as lost as I am. I know Eming. <laughs> I know Eming knows what's going on. I'm, All right. It's okay. It's not like he was a good feminist, but he was a feminist. It's not and like some, Buffy. Sorry, what should I do? We need more. Can someone before we we need some context okay. before yeah, we start. Folks, folks, a lot of audio we, in my ear right now. Before we start going off on Joss <laughs> Whedon, we need someone. We need someone to give us a very okay, concise summary okay, of what's going on. Okay, thank you. Joss Whedon, who was a Hollywood boy, but also the son of one of the directors and founding directors of Now National Organization for Women, which, by the way, should have itself been suspect, was also the showrunner starting from the age of thirty-one. I believe, of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, then Angel, then Firefly, all shows which in the 90s were a huge part of what propelled the golden age of TV because they had characters who grew, they had complexity, they had, and most interestingly, they had a show that was dictated by an atheist, which meant that none of his explanations for why good and evil exists hinged upon religious belief, which was probably the very first time that happened in American um television possibly professor shearley in the house <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to interrupt yeah. keep going so he also <laughs> made buffy and the whole theory the whole idea behind buffy the opening scene is you see a pretty blonde girl getting uh chased into an alley this was very intentional by a vampire and then right when you think the vampire is gonna get her it twisted the trope and the pretty blonde girl that, no, I'm sorry. Someone correct me. That's not what it was. It was a pretty gone blonde girl getting chased by a football player. You thought he was going to rape her. Then she turned out to be a vampire and bit him. That was Darla. That sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right? Sorry, I got it wrong. But it, the original premise was he wanted to play with that trope. So he did that. He made this great show. He made a show that was, I can think of like three or four immigration attorneys, civil rights lawyers, people who are women who are incredible activists who were inspired by watching Buffy as they were. There's one right here. <laughs> there you go. And me too. I actually was introduced to Buffy way later. I was like in my late 20s when it started. And I still, Buffy and especially Angel, for me, I think it was less the feminist thing, but the atheist thing, the, the way in which because it was atheist, the question of what good and evil always was driven by people's actions, which is something very you don't ordinarily see that in superhero shows or genre shows or fantasy shows. Fast forward to Turd Daddy was a little rapey, like not a little rapey. But like about 10 of the female actors who were on set have now come forth to talk about how badly he treated them, um, including one who was 14 at the time that the, the studio had to issue a dictum that he was not allowed to be in the room with her. Now, there were signs all along. This is the really fucked up part. His wife wrote an op-ed. Anyone, anyone, if you guys want to meet me in a corner to talk about Angel season four and what happened to Cordy, we can, because, oh, my God, that should have been a sign. Yep. Never mind the fact that Firefly, <laughs> spoiler alert, the central love story is the captain who's in love with Inara, who's a high class prostitute who's also potentially a spy and from a much higher class than anyone on the ship. And he spends the whole fucking show because he's in love with her and respects her so much, uh, basically dissing and demeaning her choice of work. So it's literally love story as guy dissing a sex worker for being a sex worker. It was all in front of our faces. That great line when you know some who somebody is, believe them. Anyway, so now we have pop culture where it dovetails into other forms of pop culture is also that apparently he ruined Justice League. But I don't understand that because like, I mean, uh, Zack Snyder is not exactly like Hitchcock, like how... <laughs> 
Did you watch Justice League? Which well, it's hard I, to ruin I, I, something I, I, that's already I, bad, but <laughs> like how this all sort of came to public attention was because one of the actors on the show was on the movie was complaining that he was mistreated and emotionally abused on the set of Justice League by Josh Whedon. And he was black and accused the guy of racism and came from a career of always being a labor organizer within the acting profession and an activist. So, yeah, I should have brought that up right from the start. This whole wave would not have toppled it had it not been for one very brave Ray Fisher getting like, himself fired off a franchise. And, and all like great personal risks, like yep. fired, um, yep. blackballed essentially. Um, and so yep. in the midst of that, then one of the actresses from Buffy the Vampire Slayer said, I watched all this unfold and I feel like I need to speak because this also happened to me. And that is Cordelia who... Again, like if you watch the show, it's like such an interesting, it was like baffling that suddenly she was like written out of the show. And so for people who watched it decades later, you now understand why this bizarre um, of a very beloved character, right? Um, oh my God, suddenly, yes. well, Yeah, was suddenly just sort of like treated like shit on the show. And now you sort of understand that backdrop that there was this monster behind like this beloved world was just mistreating everyone all the time. Travis, you sound very personally invested here. Are you like along like Buffy from day one all the way up through Justice League? Like what was yeah, your response like I, to all of this? Not Justice League. Um but <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, you know that's fine. No judgment. No Justice League. But yeah. I mean I was a huge weed fan. I really liked the writing. I really liked um I've always sort of been a fan of like you know female-centered um, fantasy books and shows anyway, and and like a lot of queer and gay and lesbian um, characters as well. Like he, like a lot of his writing to me and a lot of what he produced, I thought was really smart. I really loved the way that he handled revamping comic book characters in like this really great, inclusive way. Um, and then you sort of, and then you find out that behind the scenes, despite that, product that I think pulled a lot of people to be fans of his, that those weren't actually values that he had, that he was sort of like the nice guy who pretends to be nice um, to get in a position of power and then just abuses the fuck out of everyone. Yeah. Wow. Is that the general narrative around this, uh, around what people have learned is like um, that there's like a specific hypocritical betrayal here. It's not just like another story about someone in Hollywood who's abusive. It's like someone in Hollywood who we, some people looked to for guidance or being progressive in terms of storytelling and gender and sexuality kind of ends up being uh, like, it's a, there's more of a betrayal to it. Is that kind of what's happening here? I think for me, it is. I don't know that that's, I think so. I think that for me, that's exactly how it feels. It feels like a, it was so unexpected because of, for me, the art he produced. Like he talked a lot about feminism in almost every interview and inclusivity yeah. well before it was like, a, well before now. Like we're talking like in, you know, however long Buffy was on the air, at least from season two on, these were like intentional things that they, they were talking about. And so to find out, um, you know, when, when one of the actresses like was on the show, she was 14. And she's like reporting now that like she was on the, on the show for two seasons, I think two or three seasons. And she was like, Josh Whedon could not be alone. Like the a rule on set was that Josh Whedon could not be alone. With me. Oof. Eming, I, I have to, I have to come. Also, 
a lot of weird. It's just about power in Hollywood and finding out that. I mean, you know, it's not like Matt Weiner later, many years later, the story, the real story of Mad Men is 10 years from 1960 to 1970, the emancipation of the female characters and what happened to the men. Meanwhile, that motherfucker blackballed a writer who co-won an Emmy with him. And she's never going to work in Hollywood again because she wouldn't have sex with him and because she came out about it. So it doesn't stop. You know, it's the thing about Hollywood is that it's not like the the art is the byproduct. The purpose of the industry is to rape little kids. Like yeah. that's what it's there for. Yeah. You know, and I guess, Jesus. I mean, that's what I think, you know, it's all about power and leveraging power and the kinds of people who are attracted to the powerful position. It's yeah, I do see, I see, I would say, yeah, like the art is the byproduct. The gods of Hollywood are sadism and money. Wow. That's uh, you could build a screenplay around that. I think it wouldn't get produced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you guys yeah. know the film The Assistant, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know. T tell us about it. The film The Assistant. I don't think I know that. The reason you don't know about it is because it's this incredible film about a day in the life of an assistant, a woman in a studio, kind of like Miramax. And she's not conventionally pretty. She's not the Weinstein character's type. So she's just in the background of all the stuff that's happening. Critics loved it. It went to the most prestigious festivals and it got no distribution. And a friend of mine who is in the industry was like, of course, it wasn't going to get distribution. Every single man who watched it knew it was about him. Wow. I actually have seen a trailer for this um, and there is some buzz around it. I mean, not promising young woman, the assistant. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Promising okay. young woman is a different one. Yes. Okay. Similar thing. No, the it's assistant is a day attention. in the life. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, Eming, the reason I was coming to you earlier is as a member of geek force, I have to ask ah. what have the geek force discussions been around uh, this new information about Joss Whedon? I don't think we've discussed it to the, to the, to the length that we are right now. So you've definitely got there first. Nice. We, we, we scooped Geek Force. <laughs> well, we, we, we've talked about it, just not about this particular thing. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> what, was that, what was that, Travis? Stop it. I mean, I I'm thought stop. of Geek Force yes. when it came out. Yeah. When, Geek, when it came out, I was like, oh, I hope those guys are okay. You mean, okay, like they're doing well personally, or you hope that like it's an informed group? What do you mean? What, what were your questions about Geek Force? Well, I must I know. know they were OK personally. I mean, he was you know, there was a period where people wore T-shirts that said, what would Joss Whedon do? Yes. Oh, oh, all right. All right. Oh. I, yeah. <laughs> I was talking about Geek Force, our podcast, which is our kind of pop culture. And it's in the name. It's our Geek That's who I meant. I met your guy. I met oh, you. you were worried. You were specifically worried about the group. All right. Well, that's yes. very thoughtful of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I was specifically worried about Geek Force. <laughs> They're fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> you can say we. I'm a yeah. Jewish mother. Well, I'm a Jewish yeah. mother. What do you want from me? That doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about just for you, Eming? I mean, this has got to be a big deal. Sucked. Like, I'm wondering. Yeah. Sucked. It yeah. really sucked. Because I, you know, I, I watched Buffy. I watched Firefly. I watched all of his shit. Everything. And so it was really disappointing. I was really sad for like a very long time. Still sad. Yeah. Still sad. So, I still have bummed. Buffy Angel comic book. Graphic novel. I thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I mean, his X-Men run, his X-Men comic book run really was great. And Frey, Excellent. what do we do about Frey? Yeah. Excellent. And now off a ship. Bummer. He can't control himself. 
Yeah. Jesus, man. How, how much more are we? I mean, I guess it's like as the truth comes out, it's very similar to our conversation about the Trump presidency, where it's like, well, this is awful, but we had to know like it had to come out. Otherwise, this great secret would be held uh, and we wouldn't be forced to confront it. Not that, you know, there's a period at the end of that sentence, but good God, it's just a lot to process. It really is a lot to process in a very short period of time. When you think about it, you know, it's like we learned about Weinstein, which started a whole new um, understanding of what Hollywood is, as you described, Shirley, in 2017. You know, so it's really only been a little bit over three years. And in that time period, my God, just think of all the people that we've learned about and the darkness and corruption of that industry that's been unearthed in the midst of a Trump presidency. Like, this is this is a pretty loaded period of time, people. <laughs> and you haven't even talked about the virus. <laughs> which, which virus? <laughs> which virus would that be? <laughs> uh, sorry, is, is is COVID over now in the U.S.? I, did no. you guys? Okay. Yeah, I think every everybody's back to school, and you know, we've all got the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. What world You're are you living in? <laughs> Can I join? We yeah. really should try the Mexican strategy, which is we have no tests, therefore we have no cases. All our deaths are pneumonia. Uh, yeah, sure. You know, as long as you classify it differently, you can track the data. Differently. I mean, that was Trump's argument all along. Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, it's only the rates are up only because we're testing more now. Right. Which, mm -hmm. you know, not wrong. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not like an inaccurate. Bit. I mean, it reminds me of when uh, Trump was critical of the CIA and he was like, oh, yeah, these are the same guys who told us that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. Uh, and I was like, oh, damn, that's like a little too accurate. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're right. Like the CIA is questionable. Although do we throw out intelligence because of it? Sometimes he had some some zingers, I think, which yeah. is what kept all of us glued. Listen, he came to he came to power for a reason. And it wasn't just the racism, although that was big. And it's like when you were asking before, what's the danger? The danger is, again, the Nazis took what between the failed putsch and when they finally started killing people. It took them nine years. Right. And during that time, the German equivalent of the Democratic Party became more and more corrupt and inactive, rendering people more likely to run into the arms of a racist populist. That's what I mean about the not over. Like, if we don't fight really hard against Biden, we're going to get another Trump. And this time right. it might not be an idiot. That would be the most dangerous right. thing. A, a, a Trump who wasn't an idiot. Right. That really was the saving grace the like whole time. Imagine that like Trump isn't actually the Hitler here. He's sort of like the Hitler entree. Nikki. Yeah, he's he's the fluffer. Nikki Haley. He's the Hitler fluffer. Thank you. Russell. <laughs> yeah. He's the white supremacy <laughs> fluffer. <laughs> Maybe that'll be his new Twitter handle. He'll, he can sneak back on the Twitter, you know, white supremacy mm -hmm. fluffer. Yep. And here comes Nikki Haley or like whoever, Josh yeah. Allen, like whoever. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. We already have to start thinking about that. Right? We're watching yeah. it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, now that we've made our way to the Nazis, uh, I've got to hit a hard reset. We have like a few minutes left. It's a call in show. We covered Joss Whedon. We got the impeachment out of the way. Uh, I wanted to give people a chance for other topics that we may have overlooked. Jasmine, a, I was just well, I did make it an assumption, Jasmine, a, that you were lost on the Joss Whedon conversation because I was. Were you also or did you or were you up on this news? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm wishy. I was a charmed girl. Oh, all right. there you go. That <laughs> <laughs> was everything. <laughs> that hurts more than anything else, man. We used to think we were so above charmed. 
<laughs> it was a good show. Turns out Charmed was the good one all along. <laughs> yeah. I lost Prue. Slowly downhill. <laughs> nice. From Nazis to Charmed. Um, so, yeah, I Charmed. wanted to give uh, people any parting shots, anything we haven't talked about, something they wanted to bring to the show today before we wind down and, and uh, conclude our Facebook Live episode. Well, go ahead, Jasmine. Yes. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, um, just kind of referencing back to before uh, when the worst of what happens, especially with Trump was happening and people kept saying, you know, this is not what America is about. And um, now that we're at this moment where, you know, people are choosing whether to maintain the status quo or to stay, you know, stay woke. Uh, today, I watched uh, Judas Sorry. and Messiah, and I, so I feel a little, just, you know, still um, reflective around that, but I just. Yeah, I tell, us, tell us a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. Tell us a little bit uh, about the film. Well, it's a really, I think, um, respectful uh, docu, you know, just representation of how COINTELPRO really targeted um, organizers in Chicago, uh, which is something that we knew, but to kind of see it done with so much um, respect, you know, to the chairman who is very much alive and this being, uh, or Fred Hampton Jr., you know, this being um, his, you know, his, his parents. So there are people that I think could have fact-checked. And I think that the filmmaker did a lot of respect to tell the story with reverence. The only thing that I do think is a little meh, I love Lakeith Stanfield, but I do think that they gave a little bit more uh, consideration to a uh, informant than I was trying to see. <laughs> but it's it's a really good movie. And I think it's just, it was just good in reminding, um, you know, just staying mindful of what has taken place and how really insidious uh, America has gone to kind of be America and, you know, maintain America and keep it as it's been. And so, yeah, that's out now. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I, I heard an interview with the director who talked about uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character. I guess that's a criticism other people have had where they're like, you know, this guy was basically like an FBI informant uh, and he was given maybe some contextual, like more contextualization than maybe he deserved, like try to understand his character, why he did what he did instead of just being like this guy was an FBI informant and what he did was pretty awful. Um, I appreciated what the director said about like, we need to know the motivations of people who do things that we don't like. That makes it a lot more interesting than having someone be patently evil. Uh, but what, what were your thoughts, Jasmine? You thought it was like a little too sympathetic or what, what was the portrayal part of the portrayal that you objected to? No, just the film nerd in me was here for the movie. And so I was really, uh, excited, you know, to watch it today. And I, was comparing, I guess, the performances. And I don't know if I'd seen a, a movie that I thought was that thorough uh, about something that took place during the civil rights era since Spike Lee did the Malcolm X movie. But then I thought of, you know, just the kind of uh, famous quote from the Malcolm X movie, get your hand out my pocket. And that's all that, you know, that you know of that informant. You don't, you don't follow his inner mantra and kind of get to, 
sympathize or empathize with why or what circumstances led him to uh, contribute to that tragedy. And so in the same way that I don't necessarily always think I hold that uh, complexity for, you know, people not inherently being all bad or all good. I mean, I know he did what he did for a reason, but I didn't know that the movie was going to lightweight empathize. uh, Yeah. I love Lakeith because people love Lakeith. That's the thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's very likable. Yeah. You know, Um, has that, have either of you seen it, Travis or Shirley or have any? No, I have decided to wait to see it because it's like one of those films that I know is going to do a number on me. So it's like, I need, like, I need a, so tomorrow was like, because I'm off tomorrow. So that was the day that I was going to dive in. Um, Because Fred Hampton is one of those people who like, you know, he's someone that like I learned about when we learned about black history and like I feel like the Black Panthers are something that like if you're interested in black history, you really have to dig because you're not getting that in Black History Month. Yeah. Um, but I was always sort of struck by how young he was when he was assassinated. So it's already like a really sad story for me. Um, and so I just have to like be in it. It's like one of those movies where I like know I have to be, I have to have my team ready and like yeah. be um in a place to watch it. So tomorrow was when I was gonna watch it. Nice. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank you. This was a great call in show. This was actually the most people we've had on at the same time on a live show. I think we managed it pretty well. Uh, we covered everything from the impeachment to uh, Nazis to Charmed to Joss Whedon. Uh, I'm, it's very I'm on brand for us. Yeah, well, like, we, li- we like tangents and we like uh, we like to meander. It usually we're meandering because we're just meandering. But this time it's like, hey, it's a live show. We go where it goes. Um, so, yeah, I want to thank all of you for being here. Jasmine, A, Travis, Shirley. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Eming, who keeps us sounding good and keeps us on task, especially on a live show. Did you guys know that we have sound effects now? Oh, nice. <laughs> this is our outro music being played live. Does that sound good? I feel like you guys just put me on hold. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to everybody listening. Uh, thanks to our guests. Until next time, Quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.